from here to there. We cannot go unless we change and start to grow. Welcome to Lead, Sell, Grow, a show that helps you amplify your leadership, grow your sales, and take your life to the next level, all while being human. Here are your hosts, Eric Konovalov and Harry Spate. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Eric, one of the great things about doing podcasts, I'm telling you, is how much we get out of these things. I mean, the people that we meet with and speak with are absolutely phenomenal, and I've learned so much in each podcast. And I don't think today is going to be any different. With us, I'm very excited to announce that we have Roy Assad out of Palm Beach County. Roy is a lifetime serial salesperson. I think it's safe to say he has done tons of things in business. I think he's somewhere started somewhere around 14 different businesses. And today he's helping on top of doing all the businesses that he works in, he's helping professionals to really uh, be better in their pursuits. He helps them to focus on more than just success in their chosen professions, and he really helps them to expand. Um, so that's not always easy to do. A lot of us are closed-minded in our thinking. So when that happens, Roy is a great person to call. So Roy Assad, welcome to the show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. So what's Welcome, going Roy. on in your world today, Roy? What's, uh, what's the latest and greatest that you're doing? Well, a week ago, we opened uh, a new concept called Alchemy, which is a juice and uh, market. It opened Tuesday last week, and we're now up and running. We still are making mistakes here and there, and that's why we call it a soft open. There's not, we didn't announce it to the world, if you will. So um, they're learning from some of the experiences they're having, but it's so exciting to see a new business come to life. It's like giving birth. It's, yeah. it's great. So you've done Who's this a we? few times. Oh, we, yeah. I have a partner in it. She is, her name is Jennifer Wesley. She actually is, it's her dream. It's her vision, if you will. And she and I have decided to partner together and come, make it come to life. It's really fun. Mm. That is nice. so awesome. That's yeah. so great. What challenges? So you've opened multiple businesses. It was did COVID have any impact on this one? And if it did, what was different from the others? No, there's no impact. It's just that you see, you keep seeing people with masks on. That's all. That's <laughs> weird, that right? One day we would <laughs> drop that thing and be able to just kind of see the smiles behind the mask. But yeah, well, I recently. Yeah, I, I recently moved to the west side of Florida over by Sarasota, and I think they've dropped the masks here a few months back. <laughs> Come on over. I run into people at Publix or whatever, and I'm like, they, they recognize me for some reason. And maybe it's my bald head, but I look at them, and I'm like, who the heck are you? I have no idea who are you. So then they go like this. Oh, yeah, nice to see you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but then you realize you forgot your mask at home. Is that what happens? Yeah. <laughs> They won't let you in public without a mask. Not. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah oh, that yeah. is insane. So this business, is it business number 14, Roy? Uh, because this, I know that you started. eight, 10. It's not business number 12. And I have okay. two more. I'm working on one more called um, Headquarters. And it's a restaurant in the uh, warehouse district in West Palm Beach. And I'm nice. partnering with someone on that. I'm... Actually, in that one, I'm only 10%, and it's okay. catering to first responders. So it's a huge place where people, first responders, can feel like they're at home. They can come and hang out after the shift or whatever. You know, it's really mm -hmm. great. There's oh, nothing great like idea. it. You know, nothing like it. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. So, you, quite fun. yeah. So in your in your world, I mean, you have seemed to be fearless when it comes to opening businesses. Is that uh, the way you describe yourself, or is there anticipation with each one? I'm trying to think of a better term. Uh, I'm definitely fearless, but I've also paid paid my dues. I mm -hmm. uh, I would say I let's see I I failed one two. I failed twice in two okay. businesses. It's not bad. It's two out of twelve. No, uh, it's not bad at all. But so tell us a little bit because I like to start with fails. So uh, what are some of the things that you learned by failing? The what do you consider failure I, first? Yeah, right. 
the first one I learned that you need to cut the cord sooner rather than later. When you're when you're when you see that it's not going right, it's better to let go. But you know, you fall in love with your concept like you fall in <laughs> love with a child. You know, we, many of us have bought stocks and we thought that they're the best thing since sliced bread and and I'm holding on to that stock and it's going down and I'm going down with it. And then I double up and then I'm even going down faster, you know, so. <laughs> it's still a good deal. I know it's coming back. AOL was, is definitely coming back. That was a huge, <laughs> huge lesson for me. I call it my MBA. It was a, mm -hmm. it was a real loss, uh, but definitely an MBA in that. Um, I also learned the value of the human relation because we had 99 employees, well, maybe 75 employees in that business. And they all stuck with us through the tough time. And, and that allows you to understand that if you really take care of your team, they will always be loyal and they will take care of you. I mean, there's always that outlier or the guy who doesn't care. But generally speaking, if you are really, really caring about your team and you, you do as much as you can for them, they'll stand by you. Mm -hmm. That was a huge help to me when the ship was sinking. Nobody was... Uh, leaving the ship. They stayed in, they stayed there till the last day. And we pretended as if nothing was happening, meaning we were taking care of customers. It's a restaurant. Mm -hmm. We took care of them. We provided great food. I mean, until the last day. And then we said goodbye to everybody. It was really cool. Of course, they knew ahead of time. They knew like 40 days ahead of time that we were going to close, mm -hmm. but none of them ran away and got their jobs and take, you know, yeah, amazing people. Yeah. Amazing people. So you're opening, um, how many restaurants have you owned out of the 12 businesses? I've opened two, sold one, closed one, just opened one, opening one more. And, and then the last concept, the last, I say the last because I'm 65 and I think maybe I have one more vision that I would like to fulfill. And, and that's called Egg Bar. And I've already registered the names and all that stuff. And that's uh, hopefully next year. Oh, that's so great. So what was different with the one that you had to close? It was way too big for me. It happened that I chewed a lot more than I can. I, I bit more than I can chew, if that's the better word. I was already with one restaurant who's doing really well. And this opportunity came in. And I learned a long time ago that when, when you get an opportunity, you jump on it. Well, I jumped on it too soon. I wasn't ready for something like that. And running two restaurants all at the same. I've never had restaurant experience. So that was also my experience. <laughs> now I can say I have experience. <laughs> now you can see how experienced that's funny well a lot of restaurants struggle right i th i mean i don't know what the close ratio in the first year but it's not just the first year it's like the second third through fifth yeah. year as well right generally 60 percent fail in the, within the one year period and specifically because of lack of capital mm -hmm. or because they really don't know what they're doing obviously that could be another factor but it's the most beautiful business, by the way. It's just that it's, I love it. It's when and you walk into your restaurant, it is packed and everybody's laughing yeah. and having a good time and they're enjoying everything. You basically feel that you've accomplished something, you know, that you've created an experience for people. Yeah. It's I've wonderful. never thought of it that way. Yeah. yeah so it's awesome. like if people like to entertain uh, and provide and serve others, I mean, that's the ideal place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you just feel like, hey, I've got this huge family over every night or how many nights a week you're open or whatever. And, uh, you know, I've often dreamt of having a restaurant, but you know, uh, it's just, uh, you know, for those that do and succeed, it's a great thing. But it seems like a lot of people tire of it and they feel like they're married to it eventually. And I've had those conversations and they say, oh, don't don't get into a restaurant business because it'll become your spouse and. Then they'll never become your spouse. They'll become your mistress, which is even yeah. worse. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh, yeah. What a good you point. Don't so right. one, you don't know which one you're married to. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. not a good, that's not a good way to live. I'm sure. <laughs> but, Roy, take us back. Yeah. Go take ahead. us back to like, how did you grow up? Are you, um, did you grow up in a pretty wealthy family? They gave you the opportunities to just, you know, start businesses when you, became of age? No, no, I was actually born and raised in Damascus, Syria, which is a, a very beautiful city, by the way, for those of you who have never seen it. Uh, it's an awesome city, but I immigrated when I was 18 years old to New Jersey and I got a job in Manhattan. 
uh, when I was 19. I was a filing boy in an in a insurance agency and I've learned the alphabet through that process. And then I learned English. Now we did not have any money when we immigrated, we were quite poor, but we did have a, a good work ethic and that was primarily mother taught. Uh, mothers are amazing when they, when they uh, raise their kids. So yeah, I worked hard, learned the insurance business, and I got very successful in sales with State Farm. It was a State Farm insurance agency. I stayed there 11 years, then I went on my own, and I've been on my own since. So I created my own revenue. It was not given to me in any way. And then that revenue helped me sustain my personal life, but also uh, launch into other opportunities. Wow. So did your parents immigrate with you or at 18, you came by yourself? My mom did. We, they were divorced uh, and she came with her three kids. I was one of them. She, she We lived in a one room, uh, dusty place in Jersey. I mean, I, I couldn't believe the place. I mean, I thought Damascus was bad. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like, what, the, what happened? I thought, I thought like, I thought it was paved with gold. What happened to the gold? And where are all the blondes? Where are all the blondes? Yeah, on the other there coast. There was not a blonde in sight in Jersey City. There was not a blonde in sight. So, okay, what did your mom do in Damascus? And then what did she end up doing when she you guys moved She was an adjunct teacher. She taught a, a Christian curriculum to a Christian school. And she also taught French. Because in Syria, French is a second language. So mm-hmm. she taught that. And she did a lot of other things, odds and ends, because when you get divorced in Syria, women usually didn't have the opportunity as much as men. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting country. They're slowly moving out of that oppressive, hopefully, thinking, you know. Yeah. But I'm out, thankfully, and I've been out since yeah. and never went back. Never oh, went wow. back. And what about, so once she came here, what, um, what did she do here? She didn't do much. She wasn't doing well health-wise. So we obviously, my, my brother and I went to work and we, uh, we funded her cost of living. And we, you know, what's amazing is I got a job. I'm not kidding. Two days after we landed at Kennedy Airport. How did you get a job that quickly? It's an interesting, I mean, it's that in itself is a story, but here's the deal. Never been without work since then. Yeah. <laughs> How awesome is that? That is so awesome. Yeah. That's so great. when somebody says it's the land of opportunity, it really, really is. It really so it's is. Most people don't see the opportunity. Yeah. I, was born, I was born in Azerbaijan, and I came here when I was nine. So it's, wow. you know, former USSR. But right. when you said streets are paid of gold... That's the vision I had as an eight-year-old boy coming to America, just thinking there's money like lined, you know, the streets are lined with coins and gold and money, and I can't wait to run around New York and pick them up. And I remember having that vision. People ask me, yeah, why are you always looking down? I said, I, I can't yeah. talk about that you talked about. <laughs> so true. I, um, I keep thinking like, you know, now you look at what's going on in America, and this is a little bit off topic, Kids are raised very privileged here. Like if you're not an immigrant and you're, you didn't grow up like in an inner city, very poor, you don't really have an understanding of what it's like if you grew up in the suburbs most of the time. And so we get these entitled kids that are growing up. And I was just wondering like how being an immigrant really, or not necessarily being an immigrant, just coming from that adversity really sets you up for success sometimes. And even though I know this, Roy, sorry for interrupting. Even though I know this, I still try to shield my kids. I got an 11 and a seven-year-old. I want them never to go through adversity. Right? And I'll tell you, you know, there's a lot of Arabs. I'm an Arab uh, and I am in no way saying Arabs are all like this, but there are also a lot of Arabs who came here and decided to use the social system as a way to live. They filed for Medicare, Medicaid. They cheated their way into this and that. It's the ethic that your parents and or your upbringing instills in you that will always last a lifetime. The problem is that the, the family is breaking down. We don't really have, who, who do you know where their 16 year old is sitting at dinner table every day? I don't Life know. has changed and it's our fault. We are all somewhat responsible. 
that we're not able to keep our kids in such a place where they can learn discipline and learn uh, what would I call it work ethic or or even even integrity or whatever it is that we, we're teaching our kids they're dependent their learning occurs elsewhere now and that's what we have to be careful of because we don't know what they're learning yeah that is so I have, I, have I, mean... three adult, I have three adult kids there in their 30s and I do now have also a six and a half year old and so I'm now experiencing it all over again uh, and I will not tell you what happened and how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what are you what are you doing differently with a six year old that you might not have done the first time I'm around? I'm having the most amazing blast with her. I did not spend a lot of time with my adult kids because I was working so hard and and I was in New York and commuting and all that stuff. So I got to see them when they were in bed. This one, I mean, I'm trying to spend as much quality time with her as possible, and she is just. She has me sold, you know, on all of, <laughs> all of her ideas. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's so true. I mean, just the other day when we were chatting, uh, you said, I got to take this face. My, uh, my six-year-old's trying to FaceTime me. <laughs> so no, I'm, I'm walking it, around, right? I'm walking That's around in public and people say, isn't it great to have a, to be a grandfather? I'm like, uh, yeah, it is awesome. <laughs> I'll let you know when she has a baby. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, yeah. You know, I've been accused of being a grandfather of my own kids. I mean, I, you know, just for the simple fact that I lost my hair, uh, you know, at a young age, it's like, come on now. I'm 40 years old. It's not my grandkid for crying out loud. I tell uh, people you know, you're my grandfather. Yeah, well, I do look like that now. Uh, enough of that. So one of the things you said is that your daughter sold you, right? And I know that sales has been a big part of your life over the years. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, how you got started in sales and what you learned from the uh, industry over the years, a couple of things. I'm just, I mean, again, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, but what are some of the things that stand out? How did you get started? And what are some of the things that stand out for you in sales? I got into sales by accident. I really, I don't think I was meant to be a salesperson. I was pretty much an introvert uh, when I, when I, it just, it wasn't in me to be this outgoing person. Plus I didn't speak English. So there was no confidence in actually going out and, and greeting somebody in any shape or form. So this man that I worked for, who happens to be, he was the, um, the number one insurance agent in State Farm, but located in Rockefeller Center in Manhattan. <clears throat> and he gave me the opportunity of working there, learning slowly. And so I started in filing, then I got into customer service, then I got into a claims department, then I got into uh, quoting people, you know, giving quotes, and it was all manual. There were no computers back in the 70s. This was 75, 76. And eventually I learned how to actually sit with someone and sell them either a car insurance policy, a home policy, or a life insurance policy. And because I guess the way we were raised, we were not raised to make a sale. We were raised to provide answers or solutions. Uh, but the greatest salesperson is the one who doesn't sell anything. It's basically you're providing a solution. And when there was the need, you fill the need. So uh, my job was to discover what the need was and then provide the solution for it. And when we did that, it came across with integrity and care and, and really being customer-minded, if you will. And slowly but surely, I've honed my skills at listening and, and understanding what the other person is, is going through. And you know, there's something that I heard recently, actually about a year ago, it says, if you can help the customer get that you got them. I don't know if you heard, get that. Okay, so if you can help the customer get that you got them, <laughs> they will do everything to help you, to help working help with them. Yeah. yeah, help them. But you got, they got to feel that you got them. You got me. You got me. You understand that I'm in deep shit because I, I'm sorry, but do, 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 because. No, it's okay. I, I messed up and my IRS, I'm behind on my IRS payments and my mortgage is behind and they're about to take my car. If you got that, if I got you, I got you, man. I mean, I understand what you're dealing with. So now let's find a way to get you out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not about a sale anymore. It's about how can I contribute to this person's life? 
and help them get their feedback on the ground. And now they become a great customer and they also become a great fan. And then they can't help but refer you business because they say, you know, just don't do anything. Just call Roy. Right. I mean, that's how right. it works. That's I love so it. good. My CPA, I, I still remember, and I, I referred so much business to him because the second we, and I came from a CPA where I was making the next amount of money and ended up paying 10 to 15 grand every year afterwards. And so with this guy, I'm like, all right, I got to change. Something's not, something's off here. And we went to the CPA and we sit down with this new guy and he comes in a room and he said, he looks at me and my wife. He said, so tell me about your family. That was the first, that's how he opened the conversation. And right, right there, it was like, what that's my guy. Right. Yeah. I've been with him for like seven years now. <laughs> right. Right. It makes such a big difference. But you know, they say most salespeople show up and throw up. I don't know if you heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah. I've done it. They throw up. <laughs> They throw up in the sense of like, oh, I've been in the business 25 years. My company is 50 years old. We're the number one company. We have a great product. And that's called throw up. I mean, that has yeah. nothing to do with what's going on at that table, at that kitchen table or whatever you are at, you know. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, it's important to listen and get what, what people are up to. Right. Oh, it's so good. So you now you are. No, go, go ahead, ahead, Eric. Okay. So right. you mentioned something about being an introvert. Uh, how did that work out for you? <laughs> how did that work out for you i like that question uh i learned to get out of my own way uh and not necessarily be this uh la 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 kind of a guy but i i if you genuinely care about people and just share that and you know you don't have to meet 100 people when you're out at an event a lot of people think that this is like a machine gun system no it's about a f focusing on a few people getting to know them, getting to know them further by asking them out for a coffee. It's about building relationships, valuable, great relationships is what matters. And then they become friends. And then it's easy when you go back to that networking event, you're seeing your friends now because you've been with them. You broke bread, you drank tea together, whatever it is that you did, or you had been at a bar. And you know, the idea is you got to know them. And all of a sudden, you cannot be an introvert because you know these people. It's easy for you to greet and then be with them. And they introduce you to somebody. And then all of a sudden, you break through to that, to that entity that you joined or the, the chamber event that you attended. And, uh, and you know, I wrote an article uh, titled, Is Your Networking? Um, a lot of people network, but their network is not really working. That's because it's a network of people that they've never gotten to know. They don't know them. They just added their name to their CRM. And they say, oh, I met him at, at John Smith, whatever. So what does that mean? You met somebody. You met somebody means nothing. What have you done for them? What have you contributed to their life? Have you really sat down and gotten to know exactly what's going on for them? And maybe they got to know what's going on for you. That's called networking. The other part is just business card exchange. That's really all that really? is. Really? Yeah. No, that's great. I, mean, I love the fact what you're just talking about is like sales and doing things the right way. Even though you're an introvert, I mean, you may never become an extrovert, but it definitely, I mean, it definitely can change. I mean, it's not like you're one way and that's the rest of the way. That's the rest the way you're going to be for the rest of your life. Easy for me to say. Um, yeah. So did you see like a gradual progression of your personality? It sounds like you have, um, but did that transfer in other aspects of your life too, would you say? Yeah, I think what, what's transpired is learning the, abil the ability to listen effectively was the secret for me is to mm -hmm. listen and take notes. So a lot of people listen, but they don't hear, right? They're listening just to listen. And I, I don't know if you know, but there's four levels of listening. There's factual listening. There is proactive listening and it goes on and on. But the idea is if you're listening to, to understand, that's very different. So then when you start doing that, all you have to do is do it over. When you sit with someone, don't start with you. It's not about you. It's about them. What's, let, let's really see what this man is dealing with. And sometimes you'll be misled by the way they look, by the way they dress, by the way they behave. You don't know what's going on for this guy. He could be on the verge of losing his wife because she's fed up with him. He could be on, his son maybe is in a drug habit and he's completely sidetracked with that. You have no idea. 
our job is to enter into the relationship and see how we can contribute. If you can do that every time, you will never fail in any business you're at. Oh, Seriously. Wow. I just saw this quote. I was actually going to do a podcast on it. And it said, if you see a great man, emulate him. If you see a bad man, check your heart. That's great. That oh, that's awesome. Great. Yeah, yeah. And you just reminded me of that when you were, when you were saying this stuff. So when you're, there's a lot of wisdom in you. I mean, I could see that like th your businesses that you've started and the relationships you've built and the failures you've had created this Roy that's sitting here today. You're not the Roy. We wouldn't have had this Roy 20 years ago. This Obviously is not. Yeah. yeah. So today you're taking all that experience and you're helping coach, I'm guessing entrepreneurs, like who's an ideal, ideal client for you? My primary work is with entrepreneurs who launched a business and they got to a space where they don't know where to go from here. Meaning they hit a glass ceiling of growing the business and they're getting challenged by what we call the complexity of the business. Because to do a small little business is maybe easy, but if you want to make it a real business where it's generating revenue on its own without you, because that's the most valuable business, is the one that you can actually step away from and it continues. Most business owners are in it as a job. It's a job. That's not the greatest business. The best business is the one that becomes paying you without you. So what we step in and do is help that business owner or that entrepreneur who's in a very precarious position of taking the next best steps, whether it's four or five unique and, and different steps, because if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same results. I step in and help them take different steps than what they've been doing, how to work on their business instead of in the business. That's number one how to create, to put it together, maybe an advisory board, help your business to grow really rapidly and, and above and beyond where it is, hire and train and motivate and inspire and retain amazing people beside you because your business will never survive if you don't have great talent on board. Avoid, you know, get out of your own way. I mean, most executives are their own issue. Uh, they call it stinking thinking, you know, we can't get out of our own way. So there's so many things that we think we know the answers. And then, we're, then we wonder why we're not moving in the right direction. And that's probably what I do. Now, generally speaking, if they don't understand, if, if, when they get to me, they're in a pain point. When they get to me, they're saying, you know what, I don't think I can do this by myself. I need help. That's a great discovery to be aware that I need help. Because if they don't feel that they need help, I can't help them. Right. So they come to me in a space where either because they're completely disappointed by the results or they love what they've achieved, but they don't want to go, they want to even go much further. And I come in and implement strategies, help them really understand why we're doing what we're doing. And then they go and they soar. And that's when I feel that they can graduate from, from the, the coaching process. And that's generally three to six months maybe eight months, but generally it's between three to six months and they're done. Now they can call me back later and say, I need this and I need that. I can help them. But yeah, it's, it's the most beautiful thing because you're work and there's no contract. I help them. No contract. If you don't like what's happening in 30 days, you should not be working with me. It's like a marriage. Why would you stay? You know, who, who you will divorce people if it's not happening, right? If it's not working, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm getting out of here. So yeah, we do it. We do it in such a way that there's a real accountability on both sides and it works beautifully. So if you had to take all the data of the business owners who you've helped and, you know, you look back at, you know, 30 of them, let's say, and you put them into this machine, what would, would there be a step that you usually take first? And I know all the businesses are different. I know all the people are different, but is there like one step that's pretty similar every single time you, you work with these organizations? The first thing I really want to achieve is to understand where we're at. Most business owners have no clue. They're not organized enough. They don't know really what their bottom line is. They don't really know what kind of profit margins they're hitting. They don't really know how much we owe, right? Or what my revenue is going to be next month. There's no visibility. And then we, we help them understand where they want to go. So if you go to a mall and you look at the map, I don't know if you've ever seen them in those big maps, they say, you are here. Yep. 
if you don't know you're here, you have, there's no way you can get there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I first helped them get a hold of what is really going on, the truth, not what my hope is, not what I think it is. What is the truth? It's called discovery. And let me tell you, that gets them to see, oh my gosh, this is not as uh, rosy as I thought. You know, I'm in, a, in a, a quagmire. I'm in a situation where I need help. So we understand where we are. And then we know where we want to go. And then we kind of figure out the steps that it's, we're going to take to get to the destination we aim for. And that's so fun because now they're proactively involved with you. They almost, you're walking with them. They don't feel alone. So you're holding their hand through the whole process. That the is other so cool. How do you... Oh, the go other ahead, thing sorry. that grips them the most is fear. They have, they have fear. They have the fear of missing out. So they make decisions that are not so good. And they have the fear of failure. And that means they're not making any decisions. So both of those are bad. Smart decisions is what they need to make. And not just FOMO type of decisions. You know, oh, I need to be doing this. And I need to focus on your core business. You know, you have, this is where the money is. This is where the profit is. Wow, that's good that's, stuff. That yeah. is really good stuff. One of the things that, okay, yeah. So um, one of the things that you mentioned there is like holding people's hand. I just heard this um, from a very successful business person um, who's lived by the principles is an old African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone, right? You know it? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to go far, go together. That's right. Right. So what's your, what's your feeling? It seems like you're nodding. On yeah. I mean, that's, I love that quote because it's so true. There was an ad long, long time ago by a consulting firm. It says, if you want to get ahead, put the right people beside you. And that right people is not just your coach. You should have a great lawyer, right? You should have a great banker. You should have a great dentist so that you have your teeth intact. <laughs> I mean, all these little professionals, those are the great professionals that I need to surround myself with so that I'm covering all bases. And when I walk in, I actually take a look at all these professionals that they are surrounded by and determine together with the business owner, are they really in your corner? Do they get you? Do they, or do they just do your tax return at the end of the year and they shove you out? It's a huge difference between a CPA who's proactive in your business and or the CPA who just files your return. Mm -hmm. Or the banker who only helps you when you have a lot of money and when you need a loan, it turns you down. You know, these are relationships that are so valuable. So we straighten up the relationships as well. So we help them surround themselves with the right people so that when the business grows, there's a support system for them. Wow. What, uh, what would you say is one of the most, you know, the quickest way to build a meaningful relationship with somebody? First of all, it takes time. This is not something that, I mean, once in a while we connect with somebody right away and we become like best friends. And that's not the typical and the normal way. Normally, it's about, a, it's about um, an investment in someone. You're investing time, energy, uh, thought, uh, whatever it takes. And listen, I've, I've taken people out three times for breakfast, and, and I still don't feel like we're very close. So sometimes people are very guarded, and understandably so, because there's a lot of problems out there. But generally speaking, to break down that barrier where they actually begin to really share with you authentically, where you actually got to know what's going on behind the curtain, if that makes sense. Once they open that curtain up and they show you the real, the real human that's behind it, you now have a relationship. And that relationship is not just about you benefiting, it's about you benefiting them too. It's how can I help? How can I make a difference? And eventually, not every, not every gesture and every contribution you make comes back. It's okay. We're not holding account on every role. I gave you a lead. Now you have to give me a lead. Now I did. No, it's about you can keep contributing and keep growing your relationships and you will get paid. You will do well. You'll be, you'll be okay, but just keep contributing and don't hold people making them feel like they're hostage to you because you've done something for them. This is not about how it works, you know? So like your, your coaching business now, you can't really walk away from that and have it 
run without you, right? Well, I have about eight partners. Okay. So sometimes I uh, bring them in to take a piece of the work so that I don't have to. And sometimes I give it to them from their get-go because I, I don't think it belongs to me. You know, there was a, not every door is your door. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you knock on the door and then they open and say, oh, this is not my door. <laughs> Let me give it on to this one, right? Um, yeah, so we try to, try to position people in the right place. Um, and that grows the company because the human capital group is a group of coaches that work together, basically. Oh, that's so great. Okay, so you actually could. Did you... Did you ever read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki? You know, sadly, no. No. Okay. No, I heard a lot of people, a lot of people who've read it really love the book, but no, I have not read it. Because you remind me of the way he, you know, the the description of the rich dad that he uses kind of reminds me of you. Um, Well, maybe that's a prediction that I will be a rich dad. There you go. <laughs> but I'm he looked there. poor, so I don't know. <laughs> it's like the millionaire next door type of thing. Yeah, right? Not saying that's that's what you are, Roy. No, yeah. no, so I, what books What books would you say had a really kind of big effect on you? Believe it or not, the best book that I can recommend is the Bible. I believe it. I know that might not ring well with many people, but... If you ever read the Old Testament and Proverbs and, and the advice that God gave to his uh, people, if you will, there's so much wisdom there. If you just follow some of that advice, you don't need another book. Now, doesn't mean we don't need, you know, uh, one of the great books I've read is The Power of Now. I don't know if you've read that book. Um, Eckhart Tolle? Gladstone. No, by Gladstone, I believe. Oh, my uh, wife maybe it is, me about yeah, it. Maybe it is Tolle. Yeah, but there's several good books out there. But I, the challenge I have is I'm not a great, re, I don't retain well when I read. So I listen to mostly audio, um, audio books. And I would say uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People is an old book, but many people look down on it. But believe it or not, it's one of the most, the highest selling books ever. It's oh, I love that book. Yeah. The Art of Networking, you know. Uh, who else that I've read? I mean, I've read a lot of books. I have to recollect. And by the way, one of the things I believe in is the empty mind. I don't know. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because I'm supposed to exist with nothing in my mind. I believe in that. Uh, what do you mean you by that? Explain that. that. Yeah. That yeah. Means I have nothing on my mind. When I am with you, I am with you. I'm not with you and thinking about what's my next meeting or what that's I had done so the hard. day before. It's very hard. And I actually teach a system to take back the control of your mind so it's empty. And all you deal with is one thing at a time. There's no multitasking at all. By doing that, when your mind is empty, you can absorb more and you can process faster. And there's a Chinese proverb that says, only in the space of nothing can a breakthrough occur. Mm, That's powerful. So where can we... When we're congested here, <laughs> there's no room for breakthroughs. Yeah. Where can we go through that training? Because I need it. And we do it five times a year. It's online. It's 25 bucks for two hours, I think. I mean, we don't price it to make money. And it's Apparently available <laughs> It's available on our website. If you go to my website, uh, humancapitalpb.com, you'll see the list of the, uh, the workshops. And then you can decide which one works for you. It's a two-hour workshop. It's a long, it's a long time, but it teaches you to take command and control of your life. That's what it's called, command and control. And it teaches you the, it gives you the tools to move from being completely overwhelmed to being completely in charge. Really, that's the process. Did you create that, or is it something that you it's, learned somewhere? Uh, along I right? created it by marrying three different courses that were a day and a half each into a two-hour condensed uh, course. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's coming at you at a very high speed, you know? Yeah. So human for something to be impactful, it doesn't have to be eternal. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. That's great. The, uh, you know, the whole idea of multitasking, I think people take a lot of pride in it. So I can do so much at once, but I think uh, maybe Eric's mentioned it before. It's sort of like if you're doing everything, you're neglecting something. 
and you know just the quality of what's happening in a lot of businesses and people relationships um you know someone's typing See, while funny. you're talking to them right Sometimes I interview people and say, so what would you say the best thing, what would you say your greatest skill? She says, or he says, I'm great at multitasking. I'm like, <laughs> okay, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> right, we have that's to. Why, that's, why, that's why they don't let us text and drive. I mean, you imagine doing this. That's exactly what's happening. Many people have died because of texting and driving. And that's a form of multitasking. Right, yeah. People don't realize that it's the worst thing you can do. Not what about like listening to music and driving? No, I think that's okay because you probably are. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the problem with listening to the music or to a book or on a call, even though it's hands-free and all that stuff, you have no idea how many red lights you went through. <laughs> yes. You don't, right. you don't know if you actually passed the exit or not. How many times have many people have passed their exit because they're on a phone call? Yeah. Three it's times yesterday. Does not work. <laughs> multitasking does not work. But the thing no, is, we've been our time has been condensed so badly that I feel like I've got to use that half hour so that I'm not wasting it. When in fact, is it really a waste that you actually just chill for about half an hour on the way down to work or on the way from work? We lost no, the, pretty awesome. the meaning of the time, you know. So Roy, let me ask you, like if somebody's feeling kind of stuck, right? They're not really happy in their life right now, maybe in their business, but they're they're comfortable, they're doing okay, but something's missing. You know that feeling? Like there's there's uh -huh. something more that wants to kind of like, they they know there's something inside of them that wants to break through that. What Those what would you recommend to an individual like that? Well, you know, they say that there's a statement that says nothing is wrong yet something is missing. I don't know if you heard of that before. That's a that's a better way to explain what I'm trying to yeah, say. Nothing <laughs> is wrong. You know, you look around, nothing is wrong. Everything right. is working out, but there's something missing. I just don't have that fire that's going on. It's a great time to actually do a discovery because most people don't really understand what is, what do they say? They don't know what they don't know. They just don't. By sitting with a, a true executive coach, somebody who knows what they're doing, who can dig through a deeper process and discovery of what is it that is really missing? Because it could be very simple and yet you haven't discovered it by yourself. Um, there's a story, I, I, I hate to tell a lot of stories, but this is an interesting story. There was a family living in Texas who owned a lot of land and during the, uh, the there was a season where I think it was in the 70s or 60s where there was a drought in the U.S. in the Midwest. And I mean, they've lost their, their farm wasn't doing well. They basically sold some of the cattle, sold some of the equipment, sold pieces of their land. And they decided to hold on to their house with the property right on top, you know, under it. And the bankers, of course, were after them. They were trying to take their house. ExxonMobil was doing a uh, drilling in that area and they found one of the largest oil deposits under their land. Now, were they millionaires before the discovery or after? Before. That's true. We all, we all are millionaires, but we haven't dug deep, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know what we were capable of. We haven't ever discovered it. And nobody ever talked to us about that. We went to school. We graduated with degrees. But we have no idea how to take our life to the next level. And until I dig deep, until I get the help and the support that I can see exactly what am I capable of? What is really my dream? I have never even talked about it with people, right? Because sometimes people don't want to share so our job is to come and open that up, open that Pandora's box and find out exactly what's going on. What's going on wrong that we can end and what's going on right that we can support. That's so good. That One is. of the biggest challenges I think I see people have who, who I have the pleasure of coaching and I got my coaching certificate through like the John Maxwell team, basically gone, you know, focusing on leadership and some right. life coaching, stuff like that. But I feel like people have a real tough time have getting a clear vision of what it is that they do want. 
Do you find that in your practice? A lot of people don't have it. Yeah, they have no idea. They're working nine to five or, or even eight to six or whatever. And uh, even there's a Bible verse that says, if you have no vision, people with, with the people with no vision, they will perish. It's, it's very, very important to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing and where am I going. But most people don't know their why. They've never discovered it. How do you recommend they discover it? It takes a process. Um, the first thing they have to, to do is let go of their attachments. Because we're attached to the job. We're attached to our house. We're atta- we have a, a, what are they called? Uh, ownership mentality. Like, oh, this is my job. Yeah, I know it's your job, but is this really where you need to be? The thing is, those are, those are uncomfortable places. So we take them through the discomfort and then get them over the fear of making the changes. Because if you don't make a change, then why are you hiring a coach, right? right. If you're going to go back and go back exactly doing the same thing, then you don't need me. You've wasted your time and your money. Yeah, <laughs> That's like Wayne Dyer said, you know, be open to everything and attached to nothing. I love that. Yeah. I didn't know what that yeah. meant for a very long time. And then I, I think I got it. I don't even think I fully got it, but I, I'm halfway there. <laughs> we put more value on things than on people, you know? We're, mm-hmm. It's an interesting dynamic in human beings. But still, believe I believe in the power of a human. Human beings can make changes and they can soar if, that's, if they're ready. Yeah. And no, they don't have to have a college degree, I'm sorry to say. You know, I mean, a lot of people have done amazing things without it. I mean, so a lot of people say, well, you got to go back to school. It's great. You can go back to school. But let me tell you, if you want to change your life, give me six months or give me three months and I'll change your life. Oof, that's so powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. I mean, so what extra... is it? Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. Like financially, go. what does it look like to work with you if somebody who's listening is wondering? Generally, we speak on a, we, we work with a, what we call retainers. And the majority of the people are not that complicated. So I would say it's a thousand a month for three to six months. Okay. But if it's a complicated situation, they may come in and have to pay 4,000 in the first month and 3,000 in the second, and then they go to a thousand because there's so much work. I mean, I'm dealing with people who have three companies and one is falling apart and they're about to just crash and burn. You know, my job is, do I want to rescue this? Or do I want to keep it alive? So I have to invest a lot of hours to make sure I do all my due diligence to actually determine right away, is this to save or is this to let go of? Because that would be wrong of me to come in and kind of like, "Eh, let's let go of it. It could be worth a lot. So that requires a lot of uh, hours and hours of work. And sometimes we may be able to take it and sometimes we may not be able to take it. But generally it's a thousand a month for three to six months. And the thousand gives them three hours of face-to-face, just so that you know. That's all the amount of time that we do face-to-face. Then there's a little bit of work behind the scenes that both they have to do and I have to do. And within 30 days, they will begin to see the sunshine, as they say. (laughs) They'll see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel because when they start seeing that, then they're very motivated to keep going and do more. Otherwise, we're not doing well. You know, I, I, I want to move the needle. I'm not just here to make you feel good. Of course, we'll make them feel good and excited. Yeah, but I, I, I would also consider if you're listening and you're a business owner and, you know, you had a dream of making, let's, let's call it $500,000 a year, consider that the reason you're not making a million dollars a year is because you're not aware of how to make a million dollars a year yet. It's not that you just like stopped working at 500000 Right. And if you have a great coach like, like Roy and his team, I guarantee you that they could probably find a way to open up some more levels of awareness for you to get you over the hump. So I don't think you're, Roy, I don't think you're only working with people who are feeling like their business is going down. No, no, no. There are people who are doing great. They just want to do more. They want to yeah. do better or they want to have a better lifestyle or they want to have a better life work balance. Who knows what their objective is? Whatever that objective is, we try to help them achieve it. That's so much fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's rewarding. Roy, can I ask what your definition of success is? Because it seems like you have a broad view of life. So I'm curious as to what it is for you. 
People, people look at success and have different uh, ideas of what they think is. So meaning if I see Bill Gates, they may think that's success, right? Yep. Or if you see Elon Musk and you say, well, that's success. But the thing is, do you really want to be Elon Musk? Do you even know who Elon Musk is? If you get to know who Elon Musk, you may not want to be him. Success is when you get to a space where you feel content not only in your personal life, but in your business life. You feel content. You're at peace. I think that's success. Mm -hmm. It's not about money. Yeah. It's nice. It's not you know, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, there are people that are, you know, working, uh, you know, for 30,000. Well, I don't know what the number is, but, in, you know, school teachers, for instance, I don't know what the number is, but it's not much more than that, what I just said. And that's their life. They just love helping children. Um, right. And it goes all across the gambit. And, you know, sometimes people feel like it's, it's all about the money, but success can be, you know, just being happy, just yeah. it's doing about what contention. you enjoy doing, yeah. right? Pursuing your passion, contention. right? Yeah. Sorry. And there are many people with a lot of money and they're still searching. Mm -hmm. So they haven't reached that, that level of contentment, obviously. Exactly. That's good. Stuff. Have you? I would say I'm completely content. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, when did I, you realize I, that? I'm one of the luckiest people. I, I don't deserve what I have accomplished or of what I've achieved, but there's been many people along the way who've helped me, of course, you know, and we all help each other. Um, I, I'm, if I died today, I would say I lived an amazing life, you know, um, so, and also I'm not afraid of dying. <laughs> that's, yeah. thing. And that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but this is great. I mean, I love what you've been sharing. Um, I love what you said about uh, the most valuable book for business is uh, something I totally agree in. So, or agree with, uh, but this has been phenomenal. Um, so where can people find the great Roy Assad? Uh -huh. Well, before I go there, I want to say one thing about leadership. A lot of people, a lot of people talk about leadership now. This is like the biggest topic. And the best that I've heard is they say the greatest leader is a dealer in hope. Okay. Not yeah. dealer in dope. Yeah, a dealer in hope. Yes. A dealer in hope. Yeah. We all, all of us humans, we need to be aware of, we need to have hope. The hope of achieving what I want, the hope of arriving somewhere, right? And the thing is, a lot of people are, are there with, they're hopeless. They're in a place of hopelessness. And when you step up and bring hope to that human being, you are now a leader. And that's the responsibility of every leader for everyone on their team. If you have 100 people on your team, you better be dealing hope to them. And genuinely not fake we're not talking about fake hope that you uh, uh many of you may know but uh, paul leone the ceo and president of the breakers was a bookkeeper but he was given the hope that he could be the ceo and guess what he's the ceo he's been he's been there 35 or 40 years i can't remember he's going to be speaking at the leadership business council in june the third week, Friday, June, I can't remember what it is. Mm -hmm. But that story is amazing. But So we are responsible if we are in a position of leadership, and everybody, by the way, leads in some way, shape, or form, is to, to deal in hope to those who are watching us or in our crew, you know. Anyway, to find uh, to find me, obviously. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't, yeah, yeah, you can't yeah, brush you can't, over no, that. No, 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 you can't add on that. That's just too great. Yeah. So, so we go back to, uh, we'll find you in a minute, but we'll, we want to go back to what you just said about that. Uh, leaders providing hope. Because um, that's clearly, I mean, can you just expand on that a little bit? Because there's so many businesses that just look at their employees as employees and people are going to jobs and they're not thrilled about the job. You know, you know there's no back and forth there's no uh, reciprocation 
the employee gives everything and they're not feeling they're getting a lot in return. So how can you help a leader to look inwardly and say, you're missing, you're missing an opportunity here? Right. Well, you know, I always tell employees, you will never make what you deserve. I'm talking about my people. Mm -hmm. You will never ever make what you deserve because what you deserve is something I cannot afford. But while you're here, I'm going to enrich you and educate you and empower you to move on to either build your own business or to move on in the company and move up in the ranks. That's the hope we give them. And that's the hope. That's the real thing. And you practice this so that somebody who is an administrative assistant should not be stuck. Not necessarily that administrative assistant is a stuck place, but you have the ability to move on if you wish. And you become an account executive. And if you're an account executive and you want to be vice president, then let's move you to vice president. But earn and work your way through because the potential and the possibility exists for you here. Any place of business that allows their employees the space to grow and blossom and or move on and we celebrate when they move, celebrate when they leave you because they're launching a business. They're launching their own business. We party for these people. That's great. It's a different way of leadership. Yeah. How do you deal the hope? Like, what does that look like though? It's daily. You are living the example of what we call selfless as a leader and touching people's lives one at a time. But then your team, the, 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 the second in command has also been baptized in that way of thinking because otherwise a disconnection will happen, right? So if I'm the only one dealing hope and then my executives below me are subjecting the employees to harassment, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> you got to, everybody has to be drinking the Kool-Aid, if you will. Yeah. So can you give an example of how, you know, your second in command would deal hope to an administrative assistant? Well, first of all, we, we have, let's say, 10, for about 15 people altogether. All of them know, all of them know that they are never stuck where they are. There is no stuck here. You are here because you choose to be here. You're here also, and you're doing what you're doing because you choose to do what you're doing. So we give them opportunities every time that I, I meet with someone and say, you know what, did you consider doing maybe something else? And what about this? And they're like, you're actually telling me like, you want me to move out of here? I'm like, all I'm saying is that, you know, and there are a couple of times I've said that I think you need to launch your own business. It's time for you to go. And they look at me like with five eyes, you know, <laughs> like, what are you drinking? <laughs> but, you know, to hold them would be so wrong. To hold them back would be so wrong. Now, if they decide to stay, that's up to them. But don't ever do, don't hold people because they're not hostages, right? The last time I checked, we live in a free country and uh, everyone can leave. Yeah, for uh, sure. Sometimes all it takes is somebody else's belief in you to launch yeah, whatever your dream that's is. So true. That yeah. is so true. And they begin to understand what's possible for them. But, you know, over time, they've learned what possibility means and that they are also full of, they have a life full of possibility. And there's a word that I coined, it's called be a possibilitarian. Uh, you're actually preaching and living the example of possibility. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Possibilitarian. That's it's like, like up there with intentional religion. encourager. Yeah. That's my new religion. I'm a possibilitarian. It's a new, I want to, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Possibilitarian. All right. Trademark this that a real Roy. pleasure, man. Yeah. Wow. Roy, I've learned so much from you. I could talk to you for hours, probably on each one of these small topics about leadership and sales and personal growth and development and coaching. And I don't know. I just really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed the conversation as well. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much for joining us. And so we're going to find you where, Roy? I'm sorry. So a oh, couple yeah. ways. <laughs> email is rasad. So that's R like Robert, A-S-S-A-D. At, and our domain is human capital, P like Peter, be like boy.com. So rsad at humancapitalpb.com. And of course, on the website, if you do get on the website, my contact information is there as well. And also the command and control courses for the entire year, there's only five of them 
are spelled out under the events uh, calendar. And the other place you can always almost find me is at the Leadership Business Council because I'm the board chair and I attend those events religiously. And it's the third Friday of every month and we hold our meetings at the Ben. They're not virtual. We're actually in person now. And usually we get about 75 to uh, 65 to 85 people at the, at, in the room. They give us the grand ballroom, so that makes it very spacious and safe. Um, and then, of course, you may find me at Alchemy when I'm hanging out and drinking my own juice. <laughs> Down at 525 Clematis Street. No, it's, it's a great really, area. For those gonna, who are outside of Palm Beach County, you've got to get to Clematis Street. That's right. And, right? Visit and Clematis, get to Alchemy and have a nice juice. Visit downtown. All right. It's been a real pleasure, Sir Roy. Harry, Thank you. Harry, Thank you, you guys Roy. are amazing. I enjoyed speaking with both of you. Thank you. From here to there, you're going to grow because you've listened to our show. If you like our podcast vibe, don't be a stranger. Hit subscribe. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to join the B2B Sales Secrets Facebook group and we'll see you on the next episode.